Good morning. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're very glad you're here. I would like to extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us this morning. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. So it is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Why a flaming chalice? The question comes. It's the cup of life, we answer. A cup of blessings overflowing. A cup of water to quench our spirit's thirst. A cup of wine for celebration and dedication. The flame of truth. The fire of purification. Oil for anointing, healing. Out of chaos, fear, and horror, thus was the symbol crafted a generation ago. So may it be for us in these days of uncertainty, sorrow, and rage, and a light to warm our souls and guide us home. Many people have questions about what holds this group together. We come from many different faith backgrounds, and we still retain practices and beloved thoughts from those faith backgrounds, and yet we call ourselves Unitarian Universalists. How does that work, and what's at the center? One of the things that is at the center for this congregation is its mission, and we wrote it on the wall, and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. One of the ways that we do justice, if you all will come forward, is by doing um, our anti-racism work and by doing our work on being allies, um, on expanding our idea of who us is. One of the things that we work on is um, civil rights for African-American folk, for folk of all different colors, backgrounds, economic um, situations, and for gay and lesbian folk. One thing we are doing at this congregation is we are hanging, uh, standing on the side of love, Black Lives Matter banner, so that you'll be able to see it. so that you'll be able to see it when you come into the driveway of this congregation's building. We love that um, there is a a group for people of color here at this congregation. We love that there's a white allies group at this congregation. We're doing lots of work, and we would like to do more. 
We don't just hang a banner as if that is actually doing something. In the Christian church, they say a sacrament is an outward and visible symbol of an inner truth. For me, my understanding of this flag and this banner is that they are outward and visible symbols of the inner work that we are doing and that we are trying to do in our culture as a group together. And that is why we are asking you all to help us dedicate these, this flag and this banner this morning. First, we'll have a reading from the People of Color group. These words are by Kenny Wiley. Many of us are here because this faith and the people in it affirmed, you may not be perfect, but your life matters just the same. That's what's on the line now. Through racism and posthumous victim blaming, through silence and bullets and indifference and vilification, black people are being told that our lives do not matter or that they matter only conditionally. Black lives matter if, if we are educated, if we are respectful, if, and sometimes not even then do they matter. Right now, we as Unitarian Universalists are being called to act. We are being called by our ancestors, those who demanded that we help end slavery, that we fight for suffrage, that we join the struggle to end Jim Crow, that we listen to and honor black power. Lydia Maria Child and William Lloyd Garrison are calling us. Lucy Stone is calling us. Fanny B. Williams and Frances Ellen Harper are calling us. James Reeb is calling us. Viola Lee Uzo is calling us. We bearers of the dream affirm that a new vision of hope is emerging. We pledge to work for that community in which justice will be actively present. We affirm that there is struggle yet ahead, yet we know that in the struggle is the hope of the future. We affirm that we are co-creators of the future, not passive pawns. And we stand united in affirmation of our hope and vision of a just and inclusive society. We affirm the unity of all persons. We affirm brotherhood and sisterhood that allows us to touch upon each other's humanity. We affirm a unity that opens our eyes, ears, and hearts to see the different but common forms of oppression, suffering, and pain. Yet we are one in the image of God, and we celebrate our hopes for human unity. Within ourselves and within the gathered community, we will discover the strength not to hide in indifference, affirming that hope, publicly expressed, energizes and enables us to move forward. Together, we pledge action to transcend barriers, be they racial, political, economic, social, or religious. We pledge to make our tomorrows our todays. 
Will the children and the young at heart please come up to the front for a story? Okay, so I'm going to tell you a story about the olden, olden, olden days. Long, 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 long ago. There you go. So there were people that we talk about a lot in church called the Jews. And they were living under the rule of their enemies. So the bad guys were in charge in these olden days. And when the bad guys are in charge, the people dream that there'll be a superhero that will come vanquish the bad guys. You know what vanquish means? Defeat. So there was a superhero that was born to the Jews, and he was the strongest boy there had ever been. And he grew up to be the strongest man there had ever been. Okay, so that's who's that's who this was. His name was Samson, and he was the ruler over the Jews, but he didn't get to rule very much because the real rulers were the bad guys, and they were called the Philistines. Yeah. So the Philistines were in charge, and Samson kept fighting against them, and they didn't like it because Samson was so strong that he always did a lot of damage whenever he fought. And nobody knew why he was so strong. But one of the things that he did to keep himself strong was he didn't eat anything that came from a vine. So no grapes, no raisins. I know, we like raisins, right? Nothing wrong with raisins, but he was not allowed to eat them. And he was not allowed to ever, ever cut his hair. Who's had a haircut? Yeah. He was not allowed to ever, ever cut his hair. He was allowed to scratch his head, and if some hair fell out when he scratched, that was okay. But if he cut it, that was breaking his vow. And he was not allowed to be around dead things. That was part of the vow. All right, so he was really strong, and nobody knew why he was so strong. But he fell in love with a woman who was living among the Philistines. We're not sure whether she was one or whether she was a Jew. We don't know. Her name was Delilah. Can you say Delilah? Delilah. Good. And so Delilah knew that Samson loved her very much. Do you know people who are in love? Yeah. It kind of makes you silly in a way right at the beginning. And, um, He was very silly about her. I don't think she was in love with him back, which is a very hard situation. But the Philistines came to Delilah and they said, we're going to give you lots and lots and lots of money. What's a lot of money? Name a number. Yes, 135 is what they said they would give her. Good, Sean. If she would find out the secret of Samson's strength. And so, you know what she did? What do you do when you want something really badly? Do you ever whine? Yeah. Do you ever nag? No, me neither. I used You work really hard. She didn't do any of that. She nagged. 
She wanted to know the secret of his strength, and she was like, come on, tell me the secret of your strength, and finally got so tired of her nagging, he told her something, but it was a fake story. He said, if you take seven strings from a bow and tie me up with those, I'll be weak as any other man. And so while he was asleep, she tied him up with seven bowstrings, and he woke up when she yelled, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And the bad guys were waiting in the other room and they jumped on him. Well, he had told her a fake story. So he woke up and he burst the bowstrings like they were just little pieces of hair or something. And he fought them and left. So then he comes back. And he doesn't say, you have to say you're sorry because that was a terrible thing to do. No, he just loves her again. And then she keeps whining and nagging, and she goes, you didn't tell me the truth. You don't really love me. And so he told her another fake story. He said, if you bind me with ropes that have never been used before, then I'll wake up as weak as any other man. So she waited till he went to sleep. She put on him ropes that had never been used before. She called all the bad guys into the house, and then she goes, Samson, wake up. The Philistines are upon you. Sorry, is that too loud? I'll get quieter. And he woke up, and the bad guys were there, and he burst through the ropes, ta-da, and he fought them off. Yeah. She kept after him. She whined some more. Was Samson a really smart guy? He told her another fake story. He said, if you take the seven braids of my head, his hair was in seven braids. Can you imagine what that would look like? Really long hair that had never been cut all in seven braids. He said, if you weave my seven braids into your loom, then I'll be weak. So she waited till he was asleep and she wove his braids into her loom. That's like a thing you weave with. And then she yelled. What did she yell? Yes. And he woke up and he broke the loom and he broke all the strings on the loom and he fought off the bad guys. Okay. Did he go back to her? Yes. And she whined some more and finally, I don't know why, he told her the truth. He said, if you cut my hair, I I won't have any strength left. And so she waited till he was asleep. Could he have known she was going to do that? He waited till she was, he, she waited till he was asleep and then she shaved off all of his hair. He was a pretty sound sleeper, I'm thinking. And then she woke him up by screaming, Samson, wake up, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke up and he couldn't fight them. And they held him down and they did terrible things to him. And they put him in shackles and they put him in the jail and they made him work on the chain gang in the jail. And then he was very sad and he knew that he had been dumb. One day they had a big feast where they were going to say, thank you, God, for letting us capture the superhero and make him weak. And they had a big feast and they said, bring Samson so that we can laugh at him. And so they brought him to the feast. They had these big temples that had two pillars and a huge roof. And everybody sat up on the roof 
and the priests were making sacrifices downstairs. Anyway, so after they'd finished laughing at Samson, he said to the boy that led him around, he said, I'm tired. Let me, let me lean against these pillars. And he leaned against the pillars. Well, you know what had happened? His hair had started to grow back. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. And he had not told them that he was getting strong again. That was the first smart thing he had ever done. <laughs> and he took the pillars and he went, and pushed them and they fell over and the roof fell in and 3,000 people who were making fun of him fell down, but they fell down on him. So they all were kaput. And that is the end of the story. (laughs) And that's the way some Bible stories are. You just go, what? But I'm going to tell the grown-ups that if anybody... If you love anybody and they say, you have to prove your love to me by doing stupid stuff, they don't really love you. The reading is from Dhammapada. Love versus hate. Never does hatred cease by hating in return. Only through love can hatred come to an end. Victory breeds hatred. The conquered dwell in sorrow and resentment. They who give up all thought of victory or defeat may be calm and live happily at peace. Let us overcome violence by gentleness. Let us overcome evil by good. Let us overcome the miserly by liberality. Let us overcome the liar by truth. Let us breathe deeply together, following our breath, quieting our minds. We hold in our hearts those who are suffering today, those who are fearful, those who are in a bad situation because of war or natural disaster. We hold in our hearts the families of those killed in Oregon. And we hold one another in our hearts, knowing that the sorrow and anger and helplessness we feel must somehow be turned into nourishment for our action. But we are tired. Let us enter into the wise silence together, mindful that small child noises in this congregation are part of silence. I just want you guys to know who Samson and Delilah are. Everybody's got a kind of a vague memory of that story, something about hair. Leonard Cohen wrote about it. Um, But I'd like to tell you some background. You've heard the basic story, which I tortured the children with. And um, the backstory on that, though, is that so this 
boy was born, and he grows up, and he's a Nazarite. That's the name of the person who doesn't cut their hair and won't eat anything, no grapes, no raisins, no wine, no strong drink. He was uh, announced by an angel to his mother uh, who, who thought she was unable to have children. That story, a motif we see repeated in the Bible and in other religions as well. So it's kind of a miraculous birth. And um, she's not allowed to drink wine or strong drink while she's pregnant with him. And so she keeps herself extra pure, and he keeps himself extra pure. And then he, he grows up, and when he's a young man, he falls in love with a Philistine girl. He just sees her. Nobody's allowed to date in those days. He just sees her, and he goes home, and he says, I've fallen in love. I've given my heart to this girl I saw, and I want you to go arrange for marriage. And they say, you know, like good Jewish parents, they're like, come on, uh, can't you find a nice Jewish girl? to marry. Um, why do you have to marry a Philistine? And he's like, that's it. My heart's set. Go negotiate. And so they're like, okay. So they walk, they go down to the town where she lives and the parents start negotiating. But on the way to negotiate, uh, apparently they're not all walking together because it says um, Samson was walking by himself and a lion, which they used to have in those days before the Crusades, um, a lion jumped out at him and attacked him. And Samson just, with his bare hands, tore the lion apart and tossed it off into the vineyard or whatever and kept walking. So some weeks later, when they're walking back to that town on the way to the wedding, Samson decides to take a little detour to kind of see if the lion is still there. And he sees that um, some bees have made a hive inside the carcass of the lion, and they've made honey in there. And he scoops out some of the honey and eats it, and he gives some to his parents. This breaks his vow. He's not allowed to deal with carcasses at all. But he doesn't tell his parents that's where it came from. So he's already sort of vow broken as he goes to his wedding. The wedding feast is seven days. He doesn't have his friends with him, so the people of the town give him 30 guys to be his groomsmen. And he's, you know, kind of drinking and not drinking. He's not drinking. They're drinking because he's not allowed to drink. And he says, he's boasting, and he says, I've got a riddle for you guys. You're never going to guess it. And he says, out of the eater comes something to eat. Out of the strong comes something sweet. Guess what happened? And so they can't guess. And they start pestering his wife to find out because the bet was if they could guess it, he was going to give them 30 linen garments. They're 30 guys. He was going to give them each a new suit of clothes. But if he, they couldn't guess, they were going to have to give him 30 linen garments, which kind of meant they were going to have to just take off their clothes and give them to him. So that's the bet. So they start pestering the wife. During uh, the first part of this wedding feast, they say, listen, you have to find out what the answer to that riddle is. Otherwise, we're going to have to be giving him our clothes, and we don't want to do that. And plus, if you don't find out, well, we're going to kill you and your family. So she, and this is a kind of a foreshadowing, I guess, if you're an English major, um, she starts 
whining and nagging and saying, um, I can't believe you're not telling me the answer to that riddle. He's like, baby, I haven't even told my mother and my father. I'm not going to tell you. And she says, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Seven days of this. Finally, he says, okay. And he tells her, so she tells the guys, so they won't kill her and her family. They come say, we have the answer to the riddle. It's honey that's made in a lion. And he's like, oh. So he's mad. He goes down to the next town. He beats up 30 guys and gets their clothes and gives the clothes to the 30 groomsmen. And he's so mad that he he won't stay and be married to her. Um, apparently, there's just this kind of marriage that was in those days where you could get married, but the woman stayed living with her parents and the husband just kind of visited. So he left in a huff and she stayed with her parents. Well, her dad thought that Samson wasn't going to be back because he was like, man, he's really mad because we betrayed him. And so he gave her in marriage to one of the companions. So she's got to be married now for the rest of her life to somebody who threatened to kill her and her whole family. Life was not really good for females in those days. So he's angry, angry at the Philistines for this whole kerfuffle. And he takes revenge by, it says, capturing 30 foxes. Not 30, 300, sorry. 300 foxes. Other translators say it could be jackals. Uh, I'm thinking, who cares? This is all ridiculous. (laughs) Not ridiculous, metaphorical. It's not literal, in other words. Who cares if it's foxes or jackals? But he takes 300 foxes and ties their tails together and lights torches that are in the tying of the tails together and sets these foxes loose, crazed, of course, and on fire, into the fields, and the fields burn up. And now the Philistines are mad. And they come after him. And he um, goes to a canyon. It says a cleft in the rock, but I don't think he's like hiding in a little cleft in the rock. I think he's hiding in a canyon, or not hiding really, but living there in a canyon because he's caused a lot of trouble between his people and the people who are the overlords. And 3,000 of his people come to um, get him, and they say, come on, Samson, you've made so much trouble between us and our overlords. We've got to take you to them, and we've got to tie you up and take you to them. And he says, okay, just you don't kill me yourselves, okay? So they say, okay. So they tie him up, and they don't kill him. They take him to the Philistine overlords, and the Philistines start shouting and running. When they see him, they start running toward him. Well, of course, he breaks the ropes, and he picks up this jawbone of a donkey, and... um, kills a thousand of them, and they retreat. And then he rules the Jews for 20 years as their judge. So there's a 20 years of kind of peace till he falls in love with Delilah. He falls in love with Delilah, and the Philistines are so done with him, they're tired of a thousand of their people getting killed by the jawbone of a donkey, um, and they're tired of all the trouble that he's causing, 
So they say to Delilah, we're going to each give you, there were five big towns of the Philistines. Gaza was one of them, which Gaza is still there, same name. Gaza was one of them. So there are five like big kings of the Philistines. And they say, we're going to each give you 1,100 shekels, pieces of gold, if you will, or $135, like we were told. And we're going to give that to you if you betray, if you find out the name, the, the secret of his strength. So you felt, you heard that story. He tells her three fake stories and three times she betrays him. That is, is that love or is that, what is that? He keeps going back and then he finally with nagging and nagging and nagging to which he is apparently pretty susceptible and doesn't learn. He tells her the real story. And then she says to the overlords, he finally told me the real story. Come on, let's cut off his hair and we'll get him. And so they, they jump on him and they put out his eyes and they take him to the jail and they put him in shackles and they make him do that job that you see uh, donkeys do where you grind the grindstone. They put the grain down in there and there's somebody just walking around and around and around. Well, that was Samson. They just made him walk around and around and around for a couple of weeks grinding the wheat. They thought that was a cool kind of humiliating job for the superhero to have to do. And we're at the, the stage in the superhero story where he's really down. He's got the, the kryptonite has got him. And, um, but little by little, day by day, his hair is growing back. And when they decide to have their big feast to thank their God, whose name was Dagon, to thank Dagon for delivering Samson into their hands. They get up on the roof of the temple, 3,000 of them, it says. They've uncovered temples like this. The Philistines were people that were seafaring people from the Aegean. They, they're probably from Crete. Um, a lot of, you'll hear a lot of kind of jackleg preachers say the Palestinians and the Philistines are the same people. No, they're not. Um, the Philistines were Greeks, sort of Greeks, people from Crete. And they had conquered temporarily. They were just ancient enemies. The Canaanites, the Philistines, and the Jews were always in that area kind of fighting it out. And the Assyrians, who are now just the Syrians, um, always fighting from time immemorial. So um, anyway, the Philistines built temples like this, and there were 3,000 of them up on the roof just pointing at him and laughing. Look, here's a great Superman, and he can't do anything to us now. And Look, dance, Superman, dance. They, they didn't have those. But um, they just made him do ridiculous things. And they were laughing. And finally he said to the boy who was leading him around because he was blind, um, I'm, I'm tired, let me rest against these pillars here. And that's when he prayed one last time and said, God, if you've ever uh, loved me, if you ever have helped me before. Please help me now just this one last time, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to take all my enemies out with them, which is not how any superhero movie ends in our culture. I don't think probably somebody coming out of the line will go, oh, yeah, Marvel Comics said I had him suiciding at the end, but um, I hope not because it's not, it's not really a smart thing to do. It's, it's not a lovely thing to do. At the end, take all your enemies with you. It's nobody in this story behaved well. Nobody. And I'm thinking all the people who are for biblical family values, I'm thinking, do they even read the Bible? 
have they ever read? What are the biblical family values in here? I, I don't see any, and I don't see the people who are, are all for having the Ten Commandments in the courthouse, etc. Um, I don't see them even wanting families like Samson's and Delilah's in their neighborhood. They don't, that would be, that would be years of therapy that would be recommended for those families. Not like, oh, yes, you are upholding biblical family values. Anyway, I digress. So, um, man, I've just been telling you, I have no idea what I wrote here. <laughs> yeah, so the, the whole temple collapsed. Samson collapsed. His parents came, got his body, and took it home to bury him. So what? So what, what do we learn about the wicked woman of the Bible, Delilah? We learn, yeah, she was bad. Um, I have... I have friends who are, you know, kind of old school feminists who always, who say, you know, if women rule the world, everything would be good. And they kind of romanticize women. But my friends, women can be just as bad as men. And we're all good and bad all together. And I don't think we should romanticize anyone gender and say that they're better at things. Um, she was bad. She betrayed him over and over again. And he was stupid. Really, I hate to say that, but I'm sure he was a good judge and everything. But he was in this one instance blinded by love. um, And he just kept coming back for more. And I would say, nobody does that if I hadn't been a therapist for 15 years. And I know people do that. People do that. You get addicted to someone or you get addicted to or you think you can't live without someone, or you think you can't live without this job or this paycheck, or you think you can't live without this church and this identity, and they abuse you over and over and over again, and they ask you to betray yourself to prove that you love them. If you really love this church, you wouldn't be thinking those thoughts. If you really love this job and wanted to keep it, you wouldn't be asking those questions. If you really loved me as my partner or spouse, you, you would um, change who you are and do the things I want you to do. Love has a mutuality to it. Must. It must. A good job must have a mutuality to it. A good church community must have a mutuality. It can't be all give and all or all take. And it has to have some component of honoring you. And if you love someone or something that does not honor you, that must be reconsidered. It's not virtuous to spend yourself or your goodwill on something that does not honor you. Does that make sense? And I think that's what Samson was doing. He was spending himself because he was addicted to this one woman And he was allowing himself to be betrayed over and over and over again by, what, for loyalty, for love? What did he think in his head? I don't know. All I know is let's learn from his example and uh, wake up to the elements in our lives that are asking us to give up our own good sense 
in order to prove our love to them. No relationship should ask that you betray yourself. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee nor leaves thy sight, and I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.